0: Welcome back to Awaken Exchanges. I'm your host, Jay Rich, and we've got another disclosure-related episode for you this week. In a very special episode, we're actually teaming up with the Hush Hush Society's Conspiracy Hour to talk about the Bob Lazar story. I'm so grateful that you keep joining us here for the exchange, but remember, if you have any suggestions for topics or guests, I do listen to the listeners. So please email me from our website or contact me on Twitter at Awaken Exchanges. I hope you're as excited for this topic as I am. I'm going to try and keep this week's intro brief, but I want to thank the Hush Hush Society for coming on to the exchange and sharing this great conversation with me. On their normal podcast, they explore a lot of topics that I have personally dove into and always have found interesting. From their beginning talk about the Philadelphia experiment and MKUltra, on through the assassination of JFK, the supposed suicide of Jeffrey Epstein, and on to aliens in Area 51, topics like we cover on our show today. I hope that you get a chance to check out their show, as I am pretty sure you're going to enjoy it for yourselves. I know I did. As for today's topic, if you haven't heard the name Bob Lazar before, then you might be living under a rock. Either that, or you haven't explored UFO disclosure much before, as he was the original UFO whistleblower back in 1989. We'll get into his past, as well as the things that people used to discredit him, But the more his story stays the same over the years, the more evidence starts to back him up. He hasn't changed his story at all, and uh, it's rather fascinating what has come to light over the last few years. Now, before we get to the show, here's a brief rundown of our sponsors. First off, I want to thank all of you personally for your support. Just listening to this podcast and sharing it with your friends gives me a reason to keep providing the best content that I can. If you have the means and would like to contribute personally, please take a look at our Patreon page where you will get access to exclusive content and deals. As for our other sponsors, Awaken Vapes was the first of the Awaken brands and has been helping you modulate your high with CBD only, high terpene vape products since 2019. Genesis Farms has been making the highest quality medicinal RSO among many other fantastic products starting with the medical community back before 2010. And last but not least, the Caramel Corn Company, bringing you caramel corn the way it was meant to be. And remember, if you enjoy this podcast, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on YouTube, or follow us wherever else you're listening. And if you can, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I know that every podcast says it, but that's because it really does help spread the word. You can also support us on Patreon or connect with us on the social media of your choice. We are at Awakened Exchanges on Facebook and Instagram and at Awaken Exchanges on Twitter. All right, now stay tuned and thank you for listening to Awakened Exchanges. Genesis Farms was founded on the belief in cannabis's ability to heal. Genesis Farms is more than a brand. They're a compassionate community of like-minded individuals that generate top-quality cannabis products made with love and care. Community outreach is always on their mind, and their partnerships with Grow for Vets and Parents for Pot was just a beginning to what they hope to accomplish in the coming years. You can find their products on the best dispensary shelves across the state of Oregon. Their RSO is the most consistent quality in the state. Their tinctures are second to none. And their personal massage oil will have you and your partner both coming back for more. Find them on Facebook and Instagram and ask for them in your local dispensary today. Don't forget to listen to Sean's interview here on Awakened Exchanges. It's episode number three. The Caramel Corn Company is bringing you caramel corn the way it was meant to be, made with premium ingredients in small, handcrafted batches, and completely gluten-free. The flavors include Original, Roasted Cashew, Salted Almond, Mixed Nut, Spicy Sriracha, White Morsel Macadamia, Peanut Butter, Butterscotch, and my personal favorites Chocolate Drizzle and Raspberry Caramel Apple. I can't say enough about how delicious this caramel corn is. It makes a great gift any time of the year. You can find them on sale in Portland area market of choice locations and online again here real soon. Visit CaramelCornCompany.com for more information today. Remember, buying local supports small businesses and keeps your money building your community. And last but not least, Awaken Vapes has been bringing you some of the highest quality CBD vape cartridges since ringing in the new year in 2019. I became passionate about cannabis after a car wreck left me with major migraines and no prescribed pills helped alleviate any of the symptoms. Having only tried cannabis a handful of times in high school and college, it was a doctor's recommendation that led me to give cannabis another try. Only then did I realize that we'd all been at least a little misled about the health benefits of this amazing plant. Despite the unexpected break because of the vape ban and then a global health crisis, the business is stronger than ever and we invite you to check out our updated website today. We are still offering our three varieties with new improved terpene formulations and enhanced flavor to go along with the custom blended terpene effect profiles. Check back at awakenvapes.com for any updates. You can always email us about wholesaling or white labeling opportunities as well.
1: Welcome to Awakened Exchanges. This week we have two very special guests joining me, Mystery Mike and Slick Frank Sanders of the Hush Hush Conspiracy Hour. Thank you guys so much for joining hey, me today. Hey, thanks
2: for having us, John. Yeah, man, it's a pleasure. Thanks for the invite.
1: Yes, please. I was hoping you guys could tell the audience a little bit about uh, who you are and your guys' podcast.
3: Sure. Uh, we are from the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour, and... Um, it is myself, Mystery Mike, uh, my cohort, Slick Frank Sanders, and we also have a third host who is not able to join us today, Declassified Dave. And every Monday or every other Monday or so, we release debriefings on different conspiracy theories, ranging from the usual uh, UFO, ufology type stuff to a little more out of the box type things. Uh, we also do some interview type stuff with people, and also get into cryptids and paranormal uh, type topics.
1: Awesome! And how did uh, the Hush Hush Society first get started?
3: <laughs> That's a common question, actually. Um, we uh, <laughs> we we have known each other for a very long time, especially myself and Dave. Uh, we've been friends for close to 20 years now. And uh Frank wow. has always been there. He's he's been around for close to the same. <laughs> and we uh we we've always talked about doing something, you know, whether it be uh some sort of show, some sort of YouTube channel, um and podcasting just kind of made sense I had just recently come off of a of a different podcast and we had always talked about conspiracy theories and weird stuff and frank would always come to me every time that he saw me and he'd say hey did you see this this is wild and (laughs) we uh we just kind of translated (laughs) those conversations to a show and put production on it and yeah we've uh we've been a show for almost a year now august 17th we will have a a grand one-year anniversary so
1: very cool um yeah, I've listened to a bunch of the episodes, and I'm looking forward to going back through the whole catalog at this point. Um, I was going to ask if you guys had any uh, favorite episodes Ooh. or topics. <laughs> that's always
2: it's,
3: a tough one. Yeah, it's, it's
2: so tough to pick. I really enjoyed, it, it was it was very early in the production of the show, but we did a two-parter on the Kennedy assassination.
1: Ah, that's on my download list already.
2: Yep to to this day that's that was probably my favorite little project to work on.
0: Mm.
3: Yeah, I would I would agree. Of the earlier episodes, JFK is definitely up there, but I would say honestly, our our upcoming episode on DB Cooper I think definitely nails it for for me. Mm. We kind of went through a little transition phase of the show and how we we structured it and um it really shows in the in the new episode and uh, i i really like the way that it came out i like the way that it flowed um so i'm i'm going to i'm going to say the db cooper episode
1: i will have to uh get on top of that one that's a big local favorite over here he uh supposedly jumped out somewhere near uh, one of the towns mm-hmm. i used to live in back in oh. uh middle yeah. school wow yeah um so let's see. Uh, you guys have, like you said, done an area fifty-four top or area fifty-one slash S four rather mm-hmm. topic before, um, and you touched on Bob Lazar, who we're going to do a little bit of a deep yeah. dive in here today. Um, what did you uh, What did you take away from the UFO topics you guys have covered so far?
0: Mm.
1: Any Any major beliefs? Do you think anything's going to come from the? Disclosure: We're gonna get next is, is week. That supposedly, when that's
2: happening? this next week, I, it has to be right.
1: Twenty fourth. Uh, yep. No way. Twenty fourth.
2: Well, I, I definitely think there's there's something to come out of that. Um I don't necessarily believe that we're gonna get the entirety of it. I can't help but feel like they're not gonna they're, they're gonna completely like disclose everything. Um, but yeah, with with Bob Lazar in particular. Once he kind of, you know, came into the limelight, stuff started to really open up. And I, I think we're going to get a pretty meaty portion of, of information out of that uh, disclosure.
3: I am, you know, it's 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 a recent revelation for me. And as more disclosure comes out and you see the, the UFOlogy community kind of getting, you, you know, a biting at the at the seam there it 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 seems to me um that a lot of this disclosure is more of a psyop um you know i i feel like Mm. so many people and so many believers and so many people within the community were waiting for this for so long that now it almost seems too good to be true yeah, there's the Freedom of Information Act, and yeah, we can request all this information regarding this, and you know, the Senate wants wants the information regarding UFOs and, and UAPs. Um, but realistically I, I feel like they're gonna give us enough to satiate us, but also at the same time I feel like they're giving us false information. They're giving us information to, you know, here, here's what's in my left hand. Don't watch what I'm doing with my right. And that's always, that's always been kind of the history <laughs> of, of the United States government. That's always been the history of, of pretty much any government. Um, and I, I feel like this disclosure is no different. They're kind of using it as an opportunity to maybe do things behind the scenes and divert attention, um, you know, there's always the great saying, don't, don't waste a crisis, you know? Um, and not that it's yeah. really a crisis or anything, but they're kind of making it out to be, Oh, well, there are these, uh, these unknown aerial phenomenon and we don't know if they're from China. We don't know if they're from Russia. We don't know if they're off world. Um, you know, are they here to help us? Are they here to destroy us? And, and the narrative of them being malicious is, is being released more so the closer that we get to that disclosure point. And, you know, it, it all boils, boils back to Project Bluebeam. If you really look into Project Bluebeam, you know mm. it's it's the preparation for a false flag operation, a, a, a fake alien invasion. And throughout the entire history of of UFOs, we've never seen them to be malicious. They've never come out and and killed anyone or you know obviously there's there's the abduction stories and you can believe those or you cannot. but outwardly, looking at UFOs in the sky and, and alien interaction, there's never been anything that has been malicious. And if you're thinking of a future, uh, uh, a future based colonization, they would have done that already. We, you know, they wouldn't let us get more technologically advanced and more able to defend ourselves. They would have done that back in the forties. So I, I don't know. It's a, it's a weary thing for me. And, I think that it's more so just something to keep us at bay while the right hand is doing something else.
1: I can totally see that. And going back to what you said about wasting a crisis, while uh, the UFO UAPs may not be in crisis mode for us right now, going through COVID seems to have been taking over so much of the news that um, I could see them using that as almost Mm -hmm. like a smokescreen. Covering up some of the uh, the information that comes out with a collective shrug mm-hmm. in America right now. So um, before we get too far into the Bob Lazar story, which I do want to go ahead and get into here soon, I just want to say that you know I've utilized a lot of his website as well as Wikipedia to gather some of the basic information, so people can go ahead and uh, you know check a few things there. But like you said, uh, it was really his interview in 1989 that was. I thought was going to be a, a big whistleblower moment um that's when i i'd actually first heard about him i must have still been you know eight nine years old
3: yeah 89 i, I was uh i was
1: five <laughs> <laughs> so um he did an interview with george knapp at the uh, las vegas television station klas claiming that he was working at uh, Papoose Lake, which is south of the Area 51 at Groom Lake that we all have heard about over the years, and that he was there and brought in to work on propulsion systems for these craft that they had. Um, where was your entry point to uh, Bob Lazar?
2: I think I first listened to him on Rogan, admittedly, um, and then, shortly after okay. that I followed it up with uh the documentary on Bob Lazar I think it was on Netflix and yes yep, yep, yeah yeah the
1: German yeah. corbo one
2: um after that you know it was just kind of a a mirage of interviews and articles
3: and yeah yeah uh with with Bob Lazar I you know, I got into, to looking into UFOs and, and ufology very early. Uh, I would say my teenage years. And that's when I first started hearing about Bob Lazar. He was a major, uh, a major figure of, of ufology and still very much is. Um, and his story is just so, so interesting. And if you did any kind of, uh, investigative work into into ufos even even peripherally um you very early learn about bob lazar and his story and um yeah so so bob lazar i've known about for a long time i'm glad that he finally is kind of getting the spotlight shown on him um so you know him being on on a bunch of different podcasts and him being uh, interviewed and doing doing his documentary, I, I think is great for him, especially for a man who has been lauded for years upon years now.
1: And a lot of the the late '80s and early '90s, when I first started hearing about him, I want to say like an unsolved mysteries mm. episode <laughs> or something along those lines, which I was obsessed with. Uh, yeah, great show. Oh, great. Uh, definitely had to spark so many of these podcasts that we're listening to these days as well. Um, but I remember, you know, them talking about trying to discredit him, basically. You know, he was claiming he worked at MIT or had a degree from MIT and Stanford and um, all these places that basically uh, have no record of him anymore.
3: Yep. Yeah. That very much includes. Uh places that he claimed to work even before Area 51. Um you know they it was kind of a when when he when he came out and talked to George Knapp about the things that were going on at Area 51 that was really that was the first time that anybody had ever heard of Area 51. And you know immediately the people who who wanted to discredit him started saying there is no Area 51, there is no S four. What are you talking about? Um, even going far as you know, as far back as saying you never worked here, you never did this, you never went to school. Um, and there was always little things. And thanks to George Knapp in his investigative work, he really found out that there were there were parts to this that that he really unfolded the lie. So he called his former employer and he said, "Hey, did you guys ever have a man named Bob Lazar working there?" And they said, "No, no, we have no record of Bob Lazar." And he got a hold of their phone book, their internal employee phone book, and found Bob Lazar's name, and contacted them again and said, "Hey, we, you know, I, I just found his name in your employee handbook." And they go, "Oh, yeah, 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 we we do have a record here somewhere." of him working, uh, we're not sure what he did and just kind of, you know, more, more dis- discrediting of Bob Lazar. And I think it really boils down to trying to, trying to quiet the man, you know?
1: I agree. Cause, uh, that was at the Los Alamos national yeah, laboratory yep. that you're talking about there. And he had, you know, gotten, semi i think it was you know national attention uh, from uh newspapers in 1982 when he basically strapped a <laughs> jet engine to his car and they just tried to like deny that he worked there yeah. again it was it was weird yeah they
3: they i feel like they as soon as he came out and tried to to blow the whistle on this whole thing and and disclose this they went back and they said all right we got to make this man a ghost he, he said he went to school here and he and he worked here and he did this and he did that. We're just going to wipe him off the face of the earth like he he didn't exist. Um, and that in itself is kind of uh, it's it kind of worked against them, really, because they went and said that he didn't go to these schools and he didn't he didn't attend these universities. He didn't he didn't go to these uh, he didn't work at these places, but they almost scrubbed him too clean because then there was zero background about where Bob Lazar came from. There was no prior, oh, he worked over here instead of over here. There was no, he went to school over here instead of over here. Um, And he was, he definitely was in, uh, you know, he was in the position, a scientific position. He, he was, he was, you know, he was, he was schooled. He was educated. He definitely was, a part of those programs so when they wiped them clean i think that that kind of worked against them and the the real people of the community looked at it and said uh you know there's something wrong here
1: like you said uh this today's day and age it's kind of hard to wipe somebody out with the digital trails that we leave Mm. all day every day but yeah in the uh the late 80s early 90s it was a whole lot easier to go back through and wipe someone clean of records because you have to go physically deal with paper copies most of the time if you wanted to prove someone was there so you know without like you said having a background um information in place where okay this is how he got his education he just had a little too much knowledge and a little too much that you could still prove like the strapping a jet engine to his car and uh, the phone book from the yep. Los Alamos National Lab. Um, he said that that's basically how he got recruited into S four was that uh, that jet car. They wanted him to see if he could do anything with the propulsion of these craft over there, um, and that gets us into uh, element one fifteen. Have you guys heard much about this? A
2: little bit, yeah. I. I I recall hearing about it um during during that Bob Lazar documentary. They they touched on it.
1: Apparently, uh his asser- his assertion rather is that uh it's a stable isotope of element 115 which generates a gravity wave that allows the vehicle to uh evade visual detection by mm-hmm. bending light around it. Now, we didn't know that element 115 existed until much later first synthesized in 2003 actually and we can only get minute quantities that last a few hundred milliseconds yeah he's talking about this you know yeah. in 1989 yeah
3: um the uh what was it called on un, on un, on pentium <laughs> it was a very weird name yeah
1: Unpentium, uh, yeah, something like that. Muscovium I think it's now, now Moscovium. Yes, um,
3: yeah, it's it's a very weird element. Like you said, it, it lasts for just super super short uh, periods of time. Um, it's completely man made. It, uh, it has a weird uh, amount of. I forget if it's uh, if it's electrons or neutrons. It's got some some weird uh, amount. Uh, or is it atoms? Uh, I'm not sure. One one of those scientific words. <laughs> it has an odd <laughs> number. Yes. Um, and some people would say, "Oh well, you know, he just said element 115, knowing that eventually one day we would have an element 115, and whatever the case may be." But again, you know, it's it's he he called it out years and years prior, and he. Described it perfectly, and the element that later came out in two thousand three was exactly what he described. And I th- I think along the way, if you look at if you look at a long enough uh, timeline of Bob Lazar, you see that along the way he he very much is like he's rectified. You know, he he had come out with so much information, especially regarding this element and how he had reverse engineered it and worked on it. And for it to come out and to be exactly like he said, you know, that's got to be, I could only imagine the feeling that he felt when it was just like, yeah, all right. I, I said that and now, you know, nobody can deny it.
1: I, uh, the thing that jumped out at me most about that, I think was, um, uh, you heard about the hand scanner
2: yeah, that he I was, was uh, describing I was up for up the years. the same point that, that hand scanner, uh, th- that that was like the most minute detail, in my opinion, um, that could have been validated, but at the same time, like y- you can't just make something like that up and have it actually come true. Like with with the element one fifteen thing, yeah, you could say, oh well, he he knew, you know, element one fifteen would be a thing eventually. But who's who's gonna think up that that hand scanner security system and then you know have it actually be released that it's a thing? Mm.
1: Yeah. Cause it wasn't like he was saying it was, you know, it was scanning our fingerprints or it was, you know, taking our palm print or something. He was talking about it, measuring the distance between the bones and the veins and all these things that mm-hmm. <laughs> it was actually doing that we had. It was in like a handful of, uh, very highly classified sites. Where was he yeah, going to get access exactly. to that?
3: Yeah. And then, and then later on, you know, they, uh, I forget his name, but he was a he was a, a pilot at the time uh working for the government and he was definitely a part of Area 51 and work there. And he had later on said, Oh yeah, I remember Bob Lazar walking around the the, the hangars and uh walking around the, the offices per se. And other people would back that up and other people had said, Yeah, I remember Bob. Bob would, you know, blah 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 blah. So they they had you know, they had knowledge that he worked there, and it, it was corroborated by a good handful of people.
1: Definitely agree. I uh, I know that there's a lot of things that he, he talked about. One of the things I want to get into is that, you know, he actually claimed during the program that there were briefing documents describing historical involvement of basically the last 10,000 years of Earth history with extraterrestrials. Yeah. I highly doubt that the government is going to be giving us any information along those lines on the twenty fourth. Uh, but have you heard anything about uh, this? If
2: I recall correctly, didn't they didn't they throw these files at him like right after he he started his position with this work? That's that's just insane to me.
1: So it's something that I think they said. Uh, the one that he was working on was. Uh, from aliens or on a twin binary star system in Zeta Reticuli, I guess. Um, now that is something we don't know of any exo, uh, extra solar, I guess, instead of exo solar planets in that system right now. Um, but you also start wondering, all right, how much information are they going to give them, or how much disinformation would they be also wanting to provide yeah. as well?
3: Yeah, they're i i would believe even at those highest levels of top secret that everything is very compartmentalized and like you said you know how much of what they gave him is true um you know the the zeta reticuli trope you know it dates all the way back to 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 betty and Barney Hill <laughs> incident and you know looking at that system yeah you know they looked at it they said there's no there's no two-star system there um and i it's it's hard to say because what what are we basing it on we're basing it on visual cues so we're looking through a telescope or we're looking through electromagnetic uh you know telescopes to see if there is a two-star system there but also remember there is the distance that light travels, so it's like the whole—you uh, know—you're mm-hmm. you're seeing the light of a star that died, you know, a million years ago or whatever it may be. So maybe we're looking at Zeta Reticuli and saying, "Yeah, there's no two-star system there," but it's how many light years away, and in that time frame, could a star have been born um, or destroyed? or destroyed exactly so any any amount of things could happen in distant galaxies um, that we wouldn't know about in our lifetimes so it's 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 kind of a weird it's a 50 50 you know it's either it's either we give you know they gave him disinformation um just to to keep them keep him working or they gave him something real that you know they got information from some other entity on
1: well and as we're talking about it now i mean it's hard to believe information as well so it just uh it makes people instantly question and go oh he's a conspiracy theorist which is such a derogatory Mm -hmm. term these days
3: huh yeah yeah especially with the term no go ahead mike i'm sorry uh I was just going to say especially that that term is is like you said very derogatory but people uh keep keep perpetuating it so
1: yeah well we can't change ourselves from UFO to UAP like they did uh, uh unfortunately <laughs> yeah. conspiracy realist is uh the one that I like to go with from uh uh stuff they don't want you to know I do agree with that name at least mm-hmm. um Cause yeah, there are a lot of theories out there, but there's also a lot of reality that we don't, uh, we're not privy to. Very true. Now, one of the things he talked about was that there were, I think nine or I think nine different types of craft that he was saying that were in there. Mm -hmm. Um, including some that were found on archeological digs. Any thoughts on that?
2: Well, the thought of of ancient aliens right, <laughs> has has always been prominent. Um, I I don't think that you can discredit that. If if you do believe that they were working on possible modern UFOs or UAPs, whatever you want to describe them as, um, to say that there aren't any that are from potential uh, archaeological digs would be would be a little bit absurd, in my opinion, because the the span of time from these ancient civilizations to now on earth, it's, it's a speck of, of astrological, you know, time. So if, if aliens were to be able to travel here from wherever now, uh, they, they would have had to have been able to way back then. And mm-hmm. it, You've got the incident of the Roswell crash, which is like the the most popular crash that, you know, comes to mind. Yeah. And I'm sure there's dozens of other ones that are modern that, you know, people have no idea about. So if that's happening now in, in today's day and age, I'm sure it happened back then. And I'm sure if alien beings are interested in our civilization now, they were probably just as interested back then, you know, just kind of see the growth of, of a planet as a whole. I, I would definitely say that there's some validity to um, UFOs being pulled out of uh, archaeological digs.
3: Especially if you, if you subscribe to the idea that ancient civilizations were actually more technologically advanced than we are today. mm so there is the there is the idea that um, you know uh, fame, famed uh, doomed cities such as Atlantis really did uh, exist and they were massively technologically advanced. Um, they. Pull up artifacts that they can't explain. If you look at the cutting of stone, it looks like it's cut by by laser precision. precision. Um, there's a lot of things that they can't explain from the ancient world and from archaeological finds. So, if you if you can go with that idea, then it's not very far off to think that these alien civilizations did visit us at one time and did see what we were up to and what we were doing. Um, it's, it's only natural. It's, it's as if, you know, if, if the human race tomorrow was able to travel to different star systems, the first thing that we would do is look for civilizations elsewhere. And it's kind of that, that the, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's part of like the Star Trek world, like Gene Roddenberry, um, where you don't interact with mm. a with a civilization that is lesser than you, because you don't want to give them more advanced technology, and you don't want to uh, ruin the natural progression of their civilization. So i really believe that you know if if ufos and uaps are alien and they've been coming here for millions of years and they've been observing us that's what they are they are watchers and they're adhering to we're not getting involved Um,
1: the prime directive
3: yeah yeah the there you go (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah i i I really believe that if if they are here um it's why we haven't made contact of of any substantial uh uh kind that they are just watching us. They're just observing what we do and how we how we morph into whatever we become next.
1: Well, and you brought up uh, Atlantis, and I have to at least uh, touch back on that. Do you know much about uh, Graham Hancock or Randall Carlson?
3: <laughs> yes. Yeah we we <sighs> talk about we talk about those two uh, quite a lot on our show. Uh, we've mentioned them quite a few times we're actually trying to get at least one of them to be a guest on the show at some point so
1: i will definitely be tuning in for it um so uh, randall carlson talks about a number of um, either impact events or things of the the sort where he Mm -hmm. thinks civilization has basically been wiped out multiple times over our history and we're talking about our brains have basically been the same. We've been the same humans for 200,000 years, but we have, we do nothing until 12,000 years ago. It seems, it does seem a little odd.
3: Yeah, very, very odd. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of this explosion that happens uh, at, at a certain point in the timeline where, you know, we start making big changes and we become a completely different, civilization, but, um, you know, if, if you, if, if you look at, at, at the earth, you know, there are a million and one ways that we should be, we should have been wiped out, uh, super volcanoes, uh, natural climate change, Um, overpopulation, underpopulation, war, uh, you know, even from an astrological standpoint, asteroids. So over, if, over a period of time, one of those things has to hit. So the, the, the thought of, of Randall Carlson and him saying that, you know, we've been wiped out many times, it, it, kind of holds water. Um, if you really look at the dangers that we face as a race, uh, over over time, um, there's just kind of no way that we've avoided asteroids since the dinosaurs. We've we've had a- asteroids hit since then. Um, solar flares, what, you know, whatever it may be, there's, there's there's so many things that could have wiped us out over that over a time period.
1: Well, you mentioned the solar flares, and I did a a little bit on the Carrington event. If something like that happened in today's day and age, it would you know wipe out. The eastern seaboard and then some. Um, And then with asteroid impacts, it's starting to look like um, the younger Dryas impact was, you know, two impacts about a thousand years apart and maybe the start of and end of the last ice ages. It's a crazy thing to think about. Yeah.
3: Absolutely wild.
1: So uh on the Atlantis side of things, do you think that there could be is that how we would have gotten some of the pyramid building things like that trying to pass on information from a previous civilization?
2: It has to be something along those lines. It it didn't I don't think it came out of nowhere. I don't think they that the Egyptians said, "Hey, let's just tr- build these three Giant mega structures out here in the in the middle of the desert. I mean, I'm sure at the time there was, you know, civilization based all all the way around the the Giza pyramids. But yeah, it, I I definitely believe that it was based off of some other civilization, maybe a civilization that they were working with at the time, or communicated with at the time, or even were at war with something. Um. I, with Atlantis, it's tough because people people say Atlantis and they think of this one underwater city, mm. you know, this giant ancient civilization that got lost at sea throughout continental shifts and things of that nature. But I, I can't help but wonder how many civilizations are there like that, kind of looping back to when you were mentioning how many times has, has civilization been wiped out and throughout the geological changes of the planet through millennia, who really knows how many times something like that has happened, how many civilizations have been lost and are are just buried, whether it be in the earth or in the ocean. But yeah, I I definitely think that uh, the Egyptians, they got some influence from somewhere to build those pyramids.
1: I also uh, like to think about you know the Sphinx. The more and more information we get on that, well, one, it didn't used to have a human face. It was a lion head before somebody else recarved it. We've basically proven that as well. But it's got water damage from uh, rain, and the last time there was enough rain in the area to do that was 10,000 years before it was supposed to have been built.
3: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. T- timelines are a funny thing. <laughs> um, when it, you know, when it comes to Atlantis, I, I have a, a different thought on it. So like, if you break down the Please. word, it, if you break down the word Atlantis, it, it directly translates to Island of Atlas. So Atlas, if you think of the world, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's really Island of the world. So is it possible that we think of Atlas or Atlantis as this singular place, when in reality Atlantis could have been uh, a conglomerate of tribes, uh, a a big formation of many different lands put together. Um, You know, think about uh, where you find pyramids. You know, you have the, yeah. the, the pyramids in South America, you have pyramids in supposedly a, a Antarctica, you have pyramids in, e, in Egypt. Pyramids are, are, are found worldwide. They're not only local to Egypt. And I think that Atlantis was just kind of a, a Pangea, a large land structure that broke up for whatever reason. And but within that land structure, I really believe that there was just this mass gathering of a lot of different cultures and a lot of different tribes and a lot of different uh groups of people that came together and 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 kind of made this this amazing utopia um where people live together in harmony. But you know, maybe maybe that's the the hippie in me that wants to believe that <laughs> <laughs> um, but. I, I yeah, I don't I don't necessarily believe that Atlantis was a singular place or a singular kingdom. Um I think it was just a, a just a, a myriad of different people together.
1: I tend to I, think along those lines as well, please. Frank, you were gonna say.
2: Yeah, no, I I was just gonna say, Mike, I've I've never thought of it like that, and that is an amazing thought, and I think it brings even more validity to the idea of ancient aliens because in modern days, you know, people that try to discredit extraterrestrials and UFOs, UAPs, um, one of their main arguments is, like we've said before, why haven't they contacted us yet? And proponents of extraterrestrials will normally say something along the lines of, oh, well, we're a violent species, we're at war, we're stupid, we don't have our priorities right, we're not working together, it, it shows stupidity among the human race as a whole, and why would aliens want to uh, work with that? But if if you bring it back millennia to uh, an idea of Pangea, of a whole entire world, all of these separate tribes coming together and building one large civilization, where they lived peacefully and harmoniously then I I think, you know, that that would be a time as good as any for aliens to come through and kind of work with them. And then, you know, in all of these these pyramid structures, um, you see evidence of possible uh, ancient alien type stuff throughout the hieroglyphs. And like we said, the architecture, Uh, I I think that that kind of ties that up pretty well, honestly.
1: I know that one of the things that I, uh, I always used to think about is um, if Atlantis was spread around as an actual civilization, uh, like a confederation of states kind of thing or however else it was playing out, when you think about all the flood myths that happen and then you if you link that to, and I'm going to link a few things here, if you link those flood myths to the Younger Dryas impacts and how it just basically changed the entire shape of especially north america but all over the world then you hear about survivors of atlantis like that kind of a theory where they're going out and they're you know spreading over to egypt spreading over to the middle east uh some going uh, quetzalcoatl uh is supposed to be a white guy kind of that came and showed uh the inca and the Aztecs. Uh, their their ways so there's an this interesting overlap where an impact really could have changed everything in an instant yet still some of this knowledge survived
3: Mm. yeah and and when plato talked about uh atlantis you know he described the founders of atlantis as half gods and half human Mm
0: -hmm. so
3: you know and that that if if you're thinking about Plato, you know he is is he is he talking in riddle? Is he is he kind of you know using conjecture there, or is he just being just being very direct about it and saying, yeah, they were they were gods? Um, you know, you bring up Quetzalcoatl. That's a that's a great example. If you look, um, you know, from Mesopotamia and the Inca and the Mayan and uh, a lot of different uh civilizations that that used uh like um like carving reliefs and stuff like that you'll see this this one main figure and and, and everybody's seen it if you if you've really looked into it there's this figure and usually it has the, the head of a bird or uh some sort of bird-like features but it's mm-hmm. carrying this this purse yeah it, it almost looks like a like a like a messenger bag um, yeah and that's and that's across the world that's that's different civilizations. That's different continents. Why would all these people come up with the same
1: imagery? It's at Göbekli Tepe.
3: Yeah, yeah, and 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 that imagery is is very unique. You know, it, it's one thing if you create some sort of god figure that has you know the bird head or has those features, but to also include that little detail of it carrying some sort of bag. Or some sort of package, whatever it's it's translated to be, is uh, I think is very interesting in itself.
1: Why they felt it was so important to include that package or bag all over the carvings, it mm-hmm. it makes you wonder what was so important inside of that. What was the detail they were trying to leave us?
3: Mm, yeah, plutonium uh, core.
1: Ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you also mentioned Plato, and I thought uh, it's interesting that the he said 9,000 years before Solon, uh, which actually, when you do the math, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Graham Hancock where I heard this, that uh, it lines up right to the Younger Dryas impact. Mm. Lots of little coincidences.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's a... Uh... It's a very interesting thing, and i I really believe that Graham Hancock he's he's another one. He's kind of an outlier, um, along with Randall Carlson and their their whole thought process. Um, I think they are going to be another group of people that are going to be vindicated one day. Uh, I think they already kind of are. You know, they're very they're much- starting for sure. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of archaeologists and, and historians out there that discredit them. They call them uh, fringe you know, fringe science or, or fringe archaeology. Um, and it, it's, it's mostly because, and as, as, as Graham Hancock will say in many of his interviews, um, it's because you have these archaeologists who are very set in their ways, and they're very set in their timelines, and they're very set in, in what they know about these things. Um, and what they were taught in school. Uh, but you can't deny the evidence that's there. And there's a lot of evidence that, you know, civilizations did go through multiple wipeouts. There are, you know, there's, there's so much science behind it, and there's so much uh, fact behind it. I think it's hard, it's, it's almost impossible to ignore. But you definitely have the, the, the groups of people and the, uh, the experts, per se, that are holding out and they're saying, no, that's not real. That can't be real. That can't be real. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a very it, – you, you have to be very within the box if you're an archaeologist or a historian. You can't really uh, venture outside of that, those parameters and say, well, you know, we've been taught this, but could it have been this? Um, and that, that makes you a pariah. And that's why Graham Hancock has become that pariah. Um, because he's challenged the narrative that we've all come to know and, and have learned about for almost 100 years now. So
1: He talks about the career killers, the things that they will uh, run people out of the sciences for talking about.
2: Yeah, see, that's really prominent in, in science right now. And I think it's kind of disgusting, honestly. like it, it kind of defeats the purpose. like wh- when you're when you're a young person and you decide that you want to be a scientist and you know, figure out the natures of the, the natures and the wonders of the world, and then you grow up to to be this this cranky inside the books, by the books, uh, sort of person that will reject any idea that is outside of your comfort zone or outside of your, your uh mentality of thinking i i just think that's kind of wrong like defeating the purpose com- completely
1: yeah definitely agree um before we start to wrap up here i am curious if disclosure is disappointing if they basically do a denial or a non-denial we we don't know what it is we can't tell you any more. kind of a thing do you think that's going to lead to any more or any credible whistleblowers like Bob Lazar thought that would come out after he did?
3: Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do believe that there are people within the intelligence community, within different uh, military regimes that do want this disclosure. They do want to tell the people really what's going on. Um, most recently you have lou elizondo who is Mm -hmm. you know his superstar status at this point (laughs) um as as a guy who who came out essentially as a whistleblower you know and he he's telling this story and jeremy corbel is out there and he's he's working and and trying to get this story out there along with george knapp and you you have these figureheads who are very much leading the charge to try and get the truth and they're trying to get the the real situation from the government um but you you have to remember a government's a a government's uh their their duty is to themselves that you think that it's for the american people but it's really not governments are are only for themselves um and if they give up information they give up power because as we all know information is the most powerful thing on this earth it's not money. It's not riches. It's not gold. It's, it's information and, a, a government giving up all its information, especially when it comes to future tech or alien tech or anything along those guidelines. Um, I, I it's kind of asinine to think that a government is going to give up everything. Um, and, and they're not it, it, that i I've, I've said it from the beginning they're not going to give us everything that we hope that we're going to, you know, they think that people, people think that we're going to get pictures of alien autopsies and we're going to get, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, some alien ambassador coming on CNN and telling us how we should be living our lives. It's not happening that way. Um, if anything, they're going to say, look, we don't know. We don't know if it's, if it's, uh, another country with more advanced technology, or we don't know if it's alien made or we don't know if it's this or that. Um, I th- I think it's going to be a collective shoulder shrug from them um, and say, this is everything that we've gathered on it, but we still don't know. Even if they do know, they're not going to say it. And I I do believe that there will be whistleblowers. There will be more people other than Lou, other than uh, Jeremy and, and George, and all these other people that are in the, the UFOlogy community. Uh, I really do believe that there will be different agents that will come out, and they will say, "Look, the government has been telling you the truth. This is what this is what's really going on." And in return, and in response to that, the government will turn around and try to. You know, downplay the, those those people, and destroy their credibility, uh, much like they did. You know, they try they did with Bob Lazar, and they tried to they're trying now to do it with Lou Elizondo. Um, you know that that's that's their whole thing, is. They're going to try to silence those whistleblowers, but yes, there, there will definitely be those people that want the truth to get out at any, any cost, um, you know, to their personal harm or to, you know, to, to their careers, they're not going to care. They're just gonna, they're going to do what they think is right. And we will see more disclosure. Um, just not from our government.
2: I, I, I really couldn't have said it better, Mike. Um, I I don't think that there's going to be more disclosure from the government after this point. The Pentagon kind of had their their hand forced by by Donald Trump when he signed that bill, saying they had to disclose by you know x amount of days. Um, and I do agree that there will be more whistleblowers, but the, they're not going to be they're not going to have that backup confirmation from the Pentagon. I think this is going to be their opportunity to put out as little as possible real information, if not complete misinformation to the public to kind of ease their minds and fulfill them and just kind of close the curtains promptly. And that'll be the end of it. Besides, you know, the, the straggler, uh, whistleblowers that we'll have here and there. And, you know, hopefully some really prominent figures come out that are, you know, really reliable sources and disclose things on their own terms. Uh,
1: I definitely think it's going to come from more people like uh, Commander Fravor, um, the one-off people who have had the personal experiences, rather than getting a full package of disclosure like we thought we were going to be getting. You know, mm. yeah,
2: and it's probably for the best that way. Honestly, i i i would I would trust these personal accounts more so than than a disclosure bill from the pentagon honestly because you've got these people in high places that are essentially putting their career on the line to disclose information whereas with with the pentagon like i said they they kind of had their hand forced
1: definitely agree well thank you guys very much for joining me here today do you want to tell people uh the best places to reach you at and where to be contacting you guys
3: Sure. Um it's very easy honestly. You can reach us over at hushhushsociety.com. Uh from there you can see all of our episodes, you can get our merch store, you can see where we're uh dispersed, we're on all the podcast aggregates, uh, Apple, Spotify, the usual places that you listen to podcasts. Um and reach out to us. You know, we're, we're always willing to take topics, uh, from listeners and from other people, especially things that we haven't touched on things that we've never heard of. Um, so feel free to reach out to us, um, on our website again, that's hushhushsociety.com. And thank you so much, John, for having us on.
2: Yeah. Thanks, John. I really appreciate it. It was fun.
1: Thank you guys. Hope to see you again soon.
0: Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this exchange as much as I did. It was a great experience, and I want to thank all of the guys at the Hush Hush Society. I hope we're able to collaborate again sometime soon. They cover so many fun topics on their podcast. I hope you check them out yourself. I also want to give a special thanks to all of our listeners. You are the reason I'm doing this. Please tell your friends about us follow us on spotify subscribe to us on youtube or wherever else you're listening and please leave us a five-star review on apple podcast if you can every podcast says that because it does help with visibility you can also support us on patreon or connect with us on the social media of your choice we are at awakened exchanges on facebook and instagram and at awaken exchanges on twitter thanks again and have a blessed day